It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Welcome to Carcoon Carne. I'm James Van Ostold, and the show is brought to us tonight by our friends at Siren Records in McHenry. Siren Records in McHenry co-sponsoring a, a live show this coming Saturday night with me uh, presenting Broken Robots out in McHenry. Love that place. Go visit them. Go buy some records. Go buy some new vinyl. We all love vinyl. Vinyl that I do love is this fantastic new release from Reverend Peyton's big damn band, Dance Songs for Hard Times. Reverend Peyton is here. Uh, Reverend I love bands like yours, and there are so few, but your band is the kind of band who, when you play it for a friend or a stranger for the first time, there's always this jaw-dropping amazement, like, where's this been all my life? I, I find that happens every time I turn someone on to your music. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I love hearing that. It, it's, Where have we been? We've been, uh, for you know, for I guess just living in a van for the last decade or so. Trying to get the word out, I guess. <laughs> well, it, it has been, what, 15 years? 15 years since our first record came out. We first started really like touring full time and doing it. It's been 15 years. It's hard to believe. It's Big damnation. Fast, man. I mean, I don't know. Can you count the last year and a half, though? You like, can't, well, count it. The, the last year and a half is important <laughs> because without it, we probably wouldn't be getting this. Well, that's true. That record would not have happened. Uh, and I love the record. I want to get to that. Uh, for those who have not heard your band, the Reverend Payton's big damn band, uh, it's not quite blues, not quite rock. It's just something all on its own. It's just plain cool. Well, you, you know, I mean, I, the way I describe it is like this. So I always say I, we call it front porch blues. And here, so here's here's my whole deal, my whole everything from start to finish is all based around the original old country blues. Now, what I do with it is two things that, you know, you maybe people that, that say they play country blues don't do. One, I have two percussionists. So it's, it's, that makes it amped up right off the bat, mm -hmm. right? I mean, all you, I mean, imagine if you just take a Charlie Patton song and mix drums with it, right? Boom. All of a sudden it's something else kind of, right? And then the other thing is, is I don't pretend that the last 100 years of music didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to like, I don't sing about riding a mule in the town because I never rode a mule in the town. You know what I mean? So I think it's disingenuous to do so to people. Like, I think it, it messes things up. So I always write about like the things that I know personally firsthand. I think blues one has to be personal. Uh, otherwise it's, it comes across really fake. Mm -hmm. And I think also too, like, I mean, we can all go and, 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 we can go get a buck of white record and listen to that. Right. Like we don't need, like we don't need someone to keep telling us how, how buck of white sounded because we can go listen to buck of white. Right. Mm -hmm. Like just going and playing some buck of white songs and calling it a day. Like yep. that's, that's not giving people what they want. You know what I mean? That's not what people are, are, are listening to uh, or like, or at least like looking for a new music. You know what I mean? Otherwise they'll just sit at home and listen to buck of white. So I never wanted to be just someone that was like, kind of a museum throwback. I always wanted to be someone that was making music for here and, and for mm -hmm. now. And, and, you know, so that's, that's kind of the thing. Like sometimes they don't know what to say, like <clears throat> how to describe us, you know, especially like in the blues world, they're like, well, like we always get put into like, you know, like, uh, 
like the rock blues category mm-hmm. and which is fine. I don't mind, I don't mind that at all because I mean, our, our, our stuff, you know, especially if you see our live show is, you know, kind of amped up, you know, I mean, but, but mainly just cause it's their drums, you know, I mean, well, you know, take Mississippi John Hurt and put a backbeat to it and suddenly it's something else. You know what I mean? So well, there's a washboard in the band too. I yeah, mean, you've got two percussionists. That's a whole lot of rhythm, you know? So, um, like that, that, that doesn't bother me, you know, because I don't know where, where else they might, you know, fit us in. Uh, because, you know, sometimes like with traditional, they want that stuff that almost is that sort of museum throwback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I refuse to, to do that. I want to make music that is in my heart here and now, and it is sort of moving things forward. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to just be, you know, something that is a, um, you know, like it, like it were, it exists in a, in under a, microscope or and it exists uh, like like you could put it up on the wall right, right? like let's put this up on the wall one thing one you know the sort of thing i describe and i you know some i don't want to you know upset anybody but i maybe i will is there are certain genres of music one of my favorites being new orleans jazz right well no one plays new orleans jazz outside new orleans mm-hmm. when you go it's just there right you go and it's there and it exists and, and people go there on a trip and they want to see that kind of music yep. and then they go yep. home and they don't listen to it. Right. That does, does, almost doesn't exist outside of that space. And I, I think that's a dangerous thing. Right. I really do. I think it's dangerous because you risk, uh, you know, keeping that music just relegated to museums yep. as opposed to allowing that music to be out and, you know, something to be enjoyed, especially by young people, because obviously, I mean, if, if young people aren't into it, at least, I mean, some of them, it doesn't have to be mainstream, doesn't have to be top 40, right? You just have to have some young people that are helping to listen to it and move it forward, right? If it's not doing that, you run the risk of it being like, that is in a museum. Right. That is not music we are listening to anymore. That is not living, breathing music. And this so, is quintessential American music, too. Well, I think I think it's important, you know, like, like I think New Orleans jazz is important, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not, oh, yeah. not like, I think, I think, I, I wish that there was, you, you could go and in New York City, you know, see it. Right. I wish it wasn't just relegated. I think it's very it's a, it's a thing that is, is sometimes, uh, you know, we just have to be careful. Right. And blues is one of those things that mm-hmm. are often comes very close to just being relegated to the museum. One hundred percent. I've been saying this here in Chicago. This city does a great job with the blues, but we do pay a lot of lip service to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all, yes, home of the blues, Muddy Waters, Buddy Guy, Willie Dixon. We talk about all that stuff, but we don't really practice that. You don't that's really, right. maybe you'll hear a song or two as you land at Midway, but that's really all you get from the, from Chicago at large when it comes to the blues. And a, a genre of music needs a scene. It needs mm-hmm. venues. It needs people to go and buy the records. It needs all of that. It needs yep. all that, you know, and it needs young people making new music that people want to hear. Right. That's how you keep moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, like I, I, I one time years ago, I, I, I got this argument with some blues society president because uh, they were saying uh, they were talking about how much they did for the blues. And I said, oh, well, good. You know, like we we're coming to town in, in a few months. Maybe you help promote our show. And they said, we don't do that. They said, we don't promote shows of any kind. And I'm like, well then what the hell are you doing for blues if you're not promoting the artists that are out there playing it? Because that's it. That's, that's all it. there is. If you're not helping that, then you literally are doing nothing for blues music. Right. You're helping to relegate it to a museum. 
and and ultimately lead to its demise. And I'm telling you, man, I've been, I've been, uh, you know, I've had people mad at me for saying this, and but it's it's an it, it's a fact, like like it or not, right? Like, and I, I think that a it, when you get a, any kind of genre of music or any any kind of living breathing art form, and it's only relegated to museums, then it's no longer alive. You know, not not in the same way. And it, like, let's take blues for instance, like like Chicago, right? Blues music is the heart and soul and core of all American music, all mm-hmm. of it. All right. Now, people say, well, maybe not country. Wrong. Country right. music, as we know it, has been so heavily influenced by blues music that most people can't even recognize it anymore. They don't know. They just think that's what country music is, was, or you know, always was. But there is nothing as far as genre music in America, which means really the world, that has not been touched by blues music as core and influenced by and, you know, maybe, I mean, completely changed by it, right? So if, if you are to understand the history of American music, then you really should know a whole lot about blues. What's the best way to teach people about blues music? Well, it's not to take their hand and hold their hand through a museum. While that could be a very good way to do it, like that could be one way, right? But the best way to do it is if they just loved it. Mm-hmm. If they loved it as, 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 a, as an art form, if they, if they respected it as a genre of music, then you wouldn't have to hold their hand through the museum. They right. would seek out the museum, right? You wouldn't have to hold their hand through, you know, like, hey, check out this record. Blah, blah, blah. You, you, they would just do it. They would seek it out. And, and then you wouldn't have to put in the work. And in order to do that, what do you do? Well, you've got you, you've to create music. And you have to expose them to stuff that is alive now that makes it feel like it could be their music, not just their great granddads. You know 100%. what I mean? 100%. And now for people who are watching on YouTube or Facebook, uh, what they may have just glimpsed in the background, that we, we caught just a hint of Breezy walking by. Yeah, she walked by. She was trying to sneak by, but we saw her. Yeah, no, we, we got it. It's it's there on celluloid, so to speak, or <laughs> digital celluloid. We saw it. Uh, and as far as throwbacks go, the only real throwback I'll point to with Reverend Payton's Big Damn Band is it, it does kind of seem like you made a deal at the crossroads with the devil watching and listening to you play. Just the, the finger picking, the, the stuff you're doing with the slide, that seems almost like you, you cut a deal with, with someone nefarious. <laughs> Man, I learned to play the same way that Robert Johnson did. And that's by pouring over the records and having a just almost unhealthy, relentless passion for it. And I've spent so many hours with these damn guitars, brother. Let me <laughs> tell you, if I wasn't a professional musician, it would almost be a life wasted. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> now, I, you are from Indiana. That's right. Yeah, we're Although, from Southern Indiana. But for people who are exposed to your music, it seems like maybe you came out of Mississippi, just listening to to where you where you are musically. How much or how little of the Midwest has influenced who you are as a musician? Oh, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, a ton of it, you know, especially like where we're at. Right. So. Here in southern Indiana, there is a, a like I'm here in Brown County. I'm one mile from Bill Monroe's music park. Uh, where Bill Monroe had, you know, his, all of his festivals for years, and the, and the tradition continues. You know, even though Bill's gone, there's there's still uh, tons of, of music festivals. Uh, with the the flagship being the the, the Bill Monroe Bluegrass Festival, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the largest and longest running traditional bluegrass festival on planet Earth. There is uh, 
a whole lot of music that has come up and out of Indiana that a lot of people don't realize, right? Well, first off, I mean, if you're going to go from Mississippi to Chicago, you know, it's very possible that you come through Indiana, right? Um, there was a, an artist by the name of Scrapper Blackwell, and he played with Leroy Carr. And they had, and they, they had a, a ton of influential songs, but Scrapper wrote this song called Sweet Home Kokomo. And Robert Johnson heard it, and he changed it to Chicago. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah. People forget the Sweet Home Kokomo that came a few years earlier, but they remember Sweet Home Chicago. <laughs> right? So yeah, Kokomo has been forgotten. Stuff. Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that happened. Like Indianapolis, you know, north of me. Indianapolis was, uh, at the time, a major, major, major musical town. It, they say it was second to Harlem when Indiana Avenue was really running and you, it was, you know, mainly jazz. Cause that was the era, mm -hmm. but you know, that's where Scrapper Blackwell and Leroy Carr were operating who, you know, in their day, they were so popular. Like I, I, I read, I read this recently. I, they were so popular that, that they had to re-record some of their records because they, so many copies were pressed that the original recordings went like that went bad. So to re-record them, so they keep selling them. Right. Like that's unheard of. You know, right. they, they so in their day, they were some of the most famous blues men alive, you know, in their day. So they were influencing people like Robert Johnson. They were influencing people like like Sunhouse. They were influencing mm -hmm. people like uh, Skip James. You know, they were influencing folks like that. Right. And that was coming out of Indianapolis, you know. So between Scrapper and Bill Monroe, you know, you, you were, were nestled right there, you know. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, someone one time said that I was an anomaly around here. Maybe so. Right. But but I mean, I, I'm an anomaly anywhere, though. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't think that necessarily means I'm an anomaly in in, in Indiana as much as I would be if I was, you know, in Clarksdale, Mississippi, where yeah. we played a ton. Um, you know, as, as far as, as that goes, you know, what I've tried to do is take my heroes of essentially fingerstyle country blues. Right. And that, that's everyone from Charlie Patton at the beginning to, uh, you know, like uh more recent uh, fellas like like Robert Belfort, right? And and then I've tried to take you know mix that with uh, Appalachian blues and 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 even Piedmont style finger picking, and create something that was uniquely my own, you know. And also try to do things that I never heard anybody do, mm -hmm. you know. I've tried to take it to certain places that it's never been, right? And um, but ultimately tell stories that are very much sort of set where I'm from. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, uh, I very rarely write a song. that isn't it's sort of set and placed in about home for me. And, you know, it's like we were talking earlier. I, I think it's because blues has to be personal. You know, it just has sure. to be. Well, it, it, we'll jump ahead to the album Dan songs for hard times. Sure. This is something you worked on over the past year. I've got to think more than any other song on the album, No Telling When, was about as personal and pandemic-related as anything on that album. It was, and it was one of the first songs I wrote for the record. And uh, No no Telling When, like you, like that song is really actually, like, it, like it, that's that's pretty traditional, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward traditional blues song. And uh, it, it, that's that's one of the, the that's one of the oldest, uh, you know, more traditional styles on, on the record. And, that song is, uh, I mean, it's 100% autobiographical. And I, I think that maybe in 10 years, 
15 years when, when people forgot about this pandemic and they're on to something else. I, I really hope that that song will still matter to people. You know, mm-hmm. someone that maybe is still, you know, kept away from their family or their friends or their job by something else. Maybe it's, you know, just some circumstance. I hope that it, it, it could still stand the test of time, but us being alive now, knowing what it's about, I think it's obvious that it's sort of about, yeah. you know, just the pandemic and just like having, so I wrote it when I was feeling pretty down and lonesome and I didn't know when I was going to get to see my family again. And I didn't know when I was going to get to do anything again. You know, it was like the end of March, uh, 2020 when I wrote that song and I was feeling pretty lonesome at the time. Let me tell you. Yeah. We all were. I, I kind of buried the lead here. Reggie's August 20th, Reverend Peyton's big damn band in Chicago, August 20th at Reggie's. I, I totally buried the lead. The triumphant uh, return. The triumphant return. So the, the catnip that I think draws people to the rest of the album, Ways and Means, uh, stop me if, you, if you've lived this one before. I got all the ways. I just ain't got the means. Uh, it's swampy. It's bluesy. It's haunting. It's, it's this gospel boogie song. The video, you love your videos. You, 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 (laughs) holy crap, watching you, you have so much fun doing videos. It's it's apparent. Man, so music videos are something that I absolutely love. Okay. And maybe like I shouldn't, like sometimes people are like, like, why do you spend so much effort on your music videos? I had a record label that was trying to sign us one time that they just flat out said that me doing, spending so much effort on these music videos was a waste of time. They told me that they said it was a waste of time. And I said, well, here's why I look at it. Everyone's going to take a cell phone video at the show and they're going to put that on YouTube anyway. And it's going to be a blown out, terrible cell phone video. Like someone's going to be like the back of someone's head is up there. You know, like the lights (laughs) not be right. They're going to be too close to one side of the room or too close to speakers. So you're going to like maybe not hear the guitar or, or hear too much of it or whatever, you know, or we can make a video that is, made by us that helps us paint a picture so that people not only hear the song the way we intend it to be heard, but they kind of get a visual aspect that, that, you know, ties it in, you know, maybe it helps us uh, help along. Cause I mean, how many times like I, have you heard a song and uh, then you formulate some kind of a opinion in your brain about what that song's about. Every and, then, time. and then the artist tells you what it's about. And you're like, you're bummed. You're like, Oh man, I didn't think I was about that. Like I thought it was about the, so with a video, you can kind of help them along, right? Mm-hmm. You can help them along. You help the, art, the, the, the fans, the, the people watching. You help them kind of understand sort of where you were at with it, you know? So with Ways and Means, I, I just felt like, you know, what the song is about essentially at, at, its, at its core, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's about, um, and I always say this, like I, I, I don't have a famous last name. I have a rich daddy who could funnel money into my career, you know, I didn't have a famous name that helped me get on, you know, some festival, you know, mm-hmm. not, not, no legacy artist, you know, just, just a, a, a poor guy from Southern Indiana, you know, so everything we come about, it was come about real honest yeah. and we had to, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, uh, it like, that's kind of what that song's about. Cause like I said, everything's real personal, you know? So it's about like, um, but it, you know, and I hope that anybody that it does not have generational wealth, or a, a, a legacy uh, career, you know, can understand where it's coming from. And I thought, man, there is no place 
more perfect than a laundromat. Yes, yes. And so the whole video for people who haven't seen it, the video takes place in a laundromat. Uh, you get out of the car with basically a trash bag full of clothes, and it, it's a freak show. Now, to be to be clear, a lot of your videos. What's happening in the background, the cast of characters in the background of other videos, too. That's that's the show right there. There's a lot going on around you. But, yeah, you, you it's this tour through a laundromat. And it's just yeah, it's, and I told I told the band, I said, oh, the, OK, the video is going to be in a laundromat. And they're like, that sounds like the most boring thing ever. And I go, no, no. it's going to be cool. Trust me. Right. So and, and I told Breezy, I said, everyone's going to be wearing the same colors. And she's like, what do you mean? What colors? And I go, well, I won't know until I find the laundromat. We're going to match it to the laundromat. <laughs> so it was the colors are green and yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Green and yellow. So when I when we when we went in there, like, you know, we found this awesome laundromat because we went in the the, the little laundromat in, in our county and, uh, you know, been in there a bunch. Went in there and, and talked to the manager who talked to the owners. And they said they, they we called them up and they said, we'd love to have you shooting there. But to be honest with you, if you go one county over, we own another laundromat. We think you'd like it better. It looks like it is a laundromat from 1970, and yes. it is perfect. So we went over there, and it looked like a movie set. And it looked like all the laundromats I remember, because like I was born in the 80s, but all the laundromats looks like the 70s still. You know what I yes. mean? Oh, absolutely. So, so like when I was a kid going to the laundromat, this is what it looked like. And they had all of these old school folding tables that looked like they were straight out of 1972 or something. It was perfect. So what we did was, and, and for people who haven't seen the video, there, there's, we did a weird thing with this. We made it a little more cinematic. There's like 23 seconds before the music starts. So before the music starts, we moved everything that was green and yellow out. So all those colors ta of tables and things were moved out. And then after that, the majority of the tables and, and everything in there was that green and yellow. We put them all on the shot and camera to help it flip it over. So, so then, now, now I need to go back and rewatch this. Now you're just making me rewatch this. Yeah, then everybody changes clothes, and now we're now all the clothes in the laundromat, and all the people, and everything you once saw, everything matches, and 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 with the color scheme, and then you know it's just a it's a it's a fun dance video. It's all these really cool dancers that are just kind of like showing out, and and us just kind of having fun with it, and uh, it ended up being uh, I think it's I, I think it's one of my favorite videos we've ever done, just because it, it's it's it just kind of it, it makes you feel good. And I think it's a nod to all those people that know what the inside of a laundromat looks like. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then the people that don't like, they, they don't get it. They just think it's people dancing and they don't really understand. They're like, Oh, they're folding clothes. <laughs> they don't quite get it. And that's fine too. You know, no, they, so they some understand. of the best, some of the best people watching it happens at the laundromat. That's right. It, it, well, it's well, such well, a cross section. That's right. And my idea was that someone folding clothes next to the laundromat, like they may be spectacular. Right. Like they, they may be someone who is spectacular. Mm -hmm. They may be a, a, a uh, an artist in their own right. You know, they, they may be someone that's super special and they're there like you are because they don't have the, the money to either, you know, have a someone send the clothes out or have the, you know, the washer and dryer in your house or whatever, you know. So that's why they're there. And I thought, man, if, if you knew everybody in laundromat, like if everybody could tell their story one night at 3 a.m. in a laundromat, what would it be like? You know, and maybe it would be interesting. Maybe it'd be wild. Maybe you, there'd be, you know, these interesting characters there. And I thought, well, this night there is, you know, and that's that's kind of the idea. And 
it uh you know it was it was fun to do that one was a lot of fun to do well speaking of videos dirty hustling uh it's you in puppet form <laughs> please please tell me I, I this is a big ask but you're coming to Reggie's on the 20th of August. Please tell me that at some point at the merch table, we'll be able to buy Reverend Peyton puppets. Oh man. I, w- I wish they're, they're, we've, we looked into it. They're too expensive. No one would pay a thousand dollars for one. So <laughs> it costs a, no. <laughs> cost a fortune to make those things. Wouldn't be a thousand, maybe a lot, you know, um, you know, that, that video is, uh, it, it, it it's nuts. I mean, I'm I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That video's nuts. I think it's uh, one of our craziest videos. And I've always wanted to do a video with puppets. It's something we've talked about for years. And, uh, I actually know a handful of, of, of puppeteers <laughs> and I, you know, I've always kind of threatened to be like, Hey, you know, but my friend Shelby Kelly started doing um, during the, the, the pandemic, he started really doing these like very like, you know, like Muppet esque Sesame street style stuff with his wife who's a teacher. And I saw that. And then I was like, I know exactly what I want the video to be. I got it. This is easy. I know. And I called him up and I said, Hey, this is what I want. And then, you know, when the, when it was coming through, you know, I, I, I was talking with the band. I'm like, okay, so all these like, you know, things are going to happen with this puppet. And at some point, you know, I don't want to give it away too much, but at some point something pretty bad happens to the puppet. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to ruin it. Hang on a second. Something happened to my computer. Can you still see me? I can see you. You're, you're brightly lit. Right. You have a heavenly glow about you. Right, let me try to figure out what happened here. I'm messing this up. It just like went away from me. There it is. Okay. I'm back. Everything's right. fine. Everything's good. Okay. In the middle of my puppet story. So, so I'm like, so, so something bad happens to the puppet. I don't want to give it away for people. I think they should go see what Absolutely. happens. To the yeah. That's kind of the climax of the whole video. And when you see this, um, there is a, a, like everybody that's in the video too. all of the people that are, they're the actors. All right. They are people that were, that are some of my best friends in the whole world. And every single person that's in that video has been in at least one of our other videos. And some of them have been in like four or five. That's amazing. I, like I said, I mean, whether it's, you know, clap your hands or whatever, there are always interesting things going on swirling around you. And we have no budget. We have like, no one gives us money for this. Like right. it's just something we do. And I have to call up my friends and family and say, Hey, it's time to make some more videos. And they come out and they help me. And I don't know why, but it's uh, I'm I feel like the luckiest person in the world. I mean, with with this one, with these videos for this record, we could only gather up ten people because that was what we were restricted to uh, with the coronavirus. And you know, we we're trying to do everything right. You know what I mean? I mean, everybody, uh, uh, I made everybody get uh, coronavirus tested over and over again. I, I begged them to, to quarantine themselves so we could be together. Uh, I begged them to wear masks and we were all to, you know, like in clo- any tight spaces together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to work up like kind of a green room area outside with uh, a, you know, a tent so that they could come out and be in, you know, fresh air. I tried so hard to do everything right, you know, and, uh, but it also made it like we couldn't do a clap your hand style video or raise the hell where I gather up 500 people, you know, raise the hell. I gathered up 500 people <laughs> and I had to close off two, city blocks in two different towns. I mean, that was a, that was a crazy, but we couldn't, we couldn't do anything like that. We couldn't do anything that big. You know, they had to be uh, ideas where we only could needed 10 people at a time. Right. And that includes us. That includes lights, camera, sound, you name it, the whole deal. 
So what, you know, the ideas had, like, it, it kind of helped me, uh, you know, sort of sometimes that, that, that sparks uh, inspiration, you know, when you're sort of, you know, kind of stuck in a, in a, in a, in a way like that. Totally. You know, that, that makes sense. Oh, I, I think if anything, the pandemic pushed a lot of creative people into new in- innovations or new ways to do old things. I mean, we all had to. Well, we had to. I mean, from I mean, not not just uh, with you know, like influencing the the songs and their and, and what they're about and you know the videos, but like it it has restructured my whole career. I yeah. mean, right now it you know it, if it weren't for Patreon and our live streams, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be a bank robber or something, man. I don't know. I can't go back to doing anything else. I've done this nothing but this for 15 years. I mean, I, I've, I've got no other skills. This is it. This is what I've got. And before that, man, I was a prof- I've been a professional musician since I was 13. That's when I started giving guitar lessons. Wow. So, I mean, I, I, I literally, I, I, I don't, I, I've got nothing else. I'm, I'm super specialized, you know, it, um, it ain't like, well, I might fall back on uh, my uh, ability to work on cars. I don't know how to do none of that. You know what I mean? I know, I know guitars. That's, that's what I know. You know, it, it's crazy. I, I, I know fishing. I started a fishing guide business last summer. So I, I took some people fishing, did a fishing guide thing. I was kind of part-time, but uh, I mean, that was more just uh, for fun than it was like a job. Uh, yeah. I, I knew that I was going to much time off. I was going to be fishing anyway. I, I might as well try to make a buck, maybe make some new friends at the same time. <laughs> I, I completely get what you're saying. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who went all in on radio for a career and it's, well, got to figure out a way to keep this going. Yeah. That, I mean, everything's changing, man. I mean, it, it's, it's wild, right? So I think about this sometimes, like if our band had come up, let's say like the big damn band had come up in the seventies or the eighties, right. It, it, it never would have worked. Like they, they never, they would, people would have been too confused. They never would have understood record labels been like, well, we can't put you in like this box. So we don't know how to sell it. So yeah, I don't, I don't hear a hit. Sorry. Yeah. Like it's, it ain't going to happen. This ain't going to be on the radio. So we don't mm-hmm. know where to put you. So sayonara, you know, that'd be the end of it, you know? And, but thanks to the internet and thanks to these big changes in music that are like a double-edged sword, it's made it possible for us to have a career. Cause I mean, that our, our entire career was born on the internet. I mean, yeah. we wouldn't have a career if it weren't for our YouTube videos. You know, all these people tell me that they're stupid to, to, to waste time on them, but I don't think that we would have a career if it weren't for them. I mean, that's where everything really starts from, you know, is all on YouTube. And it's like, awesome. I love it. I love hearing that. You know, that's organic. That's come by, um, you know, that's, that's come honest, you know. I mean, there was no payola, no big. Right. We never had some big, uh, oh, you know. Like uh, a promoter. Big, yeah, big major label. Yeah come in throw a bunch of money at it we never had any of that stuff you know it was all you know we for for the first two years that we were full-time on the road we lived in a van we were homeless we didn't have anything you know i i i I ketchup packets for dinner some nights because i was so broke you know i mean it was like oh good there's some ketchup packets here you don't have to be hungry i mean it was like it was that was pathetic how, how 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 lean those times were you know and um I was afraid it was, we were going to go back to it with this, with the, yeah. with, with the pandemic. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I mean, I was literally, I mean, the song Dirty Hustling, that was it. Like, I, I don't know if I can talk about what kind of business I used to be into when I first met Breezy, but I was very young. I'll just preface it with that. So also when you're young, you're stupid. And um, I was also very poor and I needed money. And it, you know, it wasn't anything like, uh, you know, murder for hire or drug dealing, but um there was uh, some uh, slightly nefarious, let's just say, 
um, not immoral, but not legal okay. business that I was involved in. Correct. So when um, uh, the p- pandemic started, I told Breezy at one point where I was, we were driving to our storage unit. I think I was getting some stuff that I was going to try to sell. And I'm like, look, you know, I ain't scared of dirty hustling. We're going to be just fine. I'll figure something out because she was so sick. I, I didn't know she was going to make it. And I was a nervous wreck. So I was kind of talking to myself as much as I was talking to her, you know, when I hey, said, we, we haven't even addressed the fact that she was sick during COVID during yeah, the pandemic yeah. and it got bad and scary. It was really bad. So March 3rd of 2020 was when I first felt sick. And I remember because it, you know, I just, I'll never forget it. March 3rd, I woke up, felt puny. And uh, I, I never got, like, I had a really, I think, mild case, right? Everybody else got sick, you know, varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Breezy got really sick. And she ended up, um, our, our last show was, I think, March 11th in Chicago. And March the 12th, I took her to the hospital. By March 12th, she was already, she'd gotten so bad that I, I, it was scary. So we go to the hospital. Doctor's like, look, normally I wouldn't send someone this sick home for nothing. But I don't know if we're going to be swamped with elderly people in here dying. Like, I still know. So he's like, you go home. Stay away from people. Like, you've got to take this seriously. And, you know, if, you get, if she gets any worse, take her in. You know, if she doesn't improve, take her in. So three and a half weeks later, she still is sick with a 102 temperature off and on for three and a half weeks. It, at, at the three week point, I went and got a second thermometer because I didn't believe it. I thought, well, this has got to be wrong, you know, but it was not wrong. And, uh, you know, she's st- still dealing with stuff. Uh, they yeah. say her lungs are going to be scarred forever. Um, she's got uh, now she's dealing with some long haul COVID stuff, they think. You know, they're they're you know, so little is known about this just yet. Right. You know, that they're they're not 100 percent sure if it's long haul COVID or something else that's going on. But uh, uh, she's being treated at some long haul COVID uh, places. Uh, there's like a long haul COVID center and uh, she does these uh, treatments for vertigo and all this other stuff. And and me, even though my case was so mild, like I probably had 25 illnesses in my life that I think were worse than, w- than what it was for me. I had a brain fog. I mean, it, it was yeah. the best way I can describe it. I had a fall. I, I've heard other people say the same thing. Yeah. For about five months. So bad that I thought that I had lead poisoning. I contacted a friend of mine out in California that works with people with lead poisoning. I'm like, look, I've got lead poisoning. I got this letter from saying that my water could have lead in it. I think I've got lead poisoning. And she's like, what are your symptoms? I told her, and she's like, you do not have lead poisoning. She's like, I don't know what you have, but it is not lead poisoning. And you can go back and like listen to our, our, our podcast from that, that time. You can go back and listen to me do interviews. I was stuttering, couldn't get the words out. Um, it was pathetic. Like I, and I, I listened to myself and I'm just like, Oh my, I, I can't believe that's how I sounded, you know, that's, but there were a few terrifying. Times, well, there were a few times when I got so frustrated, man, I mean, I was kicking stuff over my house because I couldn't remember the, the words to, to like, I couldn't remember the lyrics to clap your hands one time in rehearsal. Think about how silly that is. There are barely lyrics to that damn song, right? And I couldn't remember the words to them. I mean, I, I felt like I was losing my mind, you know, but in a way I kind of was, you know, uh, it, but slowly it's come back. But I, I started doing stuff, man. This is how this is how my brain works. I'm like, I've got to start like 
work in my brain, right? So I started playing Jeopardy with my, like by myself late at night. I watched Jeopardy episodes and try to, you know, because I felt like my mind was just slow. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. bring out the words fast enough, you know? I, I knew what it was, what the word was. My mouth wouldn't say it. My brain couldn't get my body to do it. Just kind of like when you first wake up and you're like, okay, well, you know, it just felt like that all the time. It was terrible. Wow. It, terrible. Well, the interesting thing, Reverend Payton, uh, Dance Songs for Hard Times, this feels like a celebratory album. This is a fun album to listen to. I mean, knowing what what was going on with you and Breezy behind the scenes in, in, during the songwriting process and knowing what I'm listening to here, there's almost a disconnect. I, I mean, crime, you talk about being poor, crime to be poor. Uh, this is a cool bluesy stomp. Uh, the harmonica on this is fantastic and fun. Like it, it's a celebratory album. Well, you know, so I had someone one time pointed this out to me. Uh, they said, they're like, Rev, you always write these terribly sad songs that sound happy. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of pay attention. Like, yeah, maybe, you know, I, I, I guess so. It, it, uh, uh, so when I kind of had these songs, right, the working title for the record was dance songs for hard times. Cause I said, you know, that's kind of like where I was going in my brain, you know? And then when it was all said and done, I'm like, I love that title. Like, that's yeah. what this is. Like, I don't want that to be working title. There's no titles be better than that. That's the title of this record. And, you know, you go through the songs though, like, I mean, like Ways and Means is really a hard time song. Uh, Dirty Hustling's a hard time song. Uh, sad, sad song is the least sad song on the album. Sonically. Yeah, sad songs. Like, it doesn't sound sad, but it's about, <laughs> it's about how sad you are. Don't leave me here with these sad songs, you know. It's about you know, being lonesome and have nothing else but these songs. Uh, ain't no telling or no telling when is a is obviously a, a, a sad song. Um, I, I think Come Down Angels is actually uh, one of the most pessimistic, cynical songs I've ever written in my entire life. I don't even know if I feel that bad about things, but at the time when I wrote that song, I did, uh, and, and that's how we close out the record. Uh, it, it's a big, uh, big gospel-y number. Yeah. But, you know, it uh, when you get to the words, it's like. I, I think those lyrics are, 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 are overly cynical. I'm not sure if I, uh, I don't know, you know, the, the, um, uh, you know, even like nothing's easy, but you and me, like that's kind of a hard time song too. Um, I think the only song on the record to me that isn't melancholy from top to bottom is rattle can. Cause it's just a straight dance song. It's, yeah. it's not even about anything. Um, but even like, uh, like too cool to dance. Right. So Too Cool to Dance is one I'm super proud of. Top to bottom, start to finish, I'm proud of this song. And it's um, it, it kind of sounds like uh, maybe a, a song that, you know, from the 1950s, maybe Chuck Berry, like a lost Chuck Berry song totally. or something, right? Uh, which is sort of weird for us, okay? But there's there's two things. One, the guitar picking is, uh, it, I'm, I'm super proud of it because when you listen to it, you think there's two, maybe three guitars. There's not, there's one. I recorded all that live to tape. With that's one awesome guitar so all the bass you hear happen at the same time you're hearing all those chuck berry licks i'm doing all that and people didn't believe it i show them live you know now we're playing live again i show that i can do it it is i can totally do it and it is 100 how it was but even that song too cool to dance like i was kind of talking to myself like when i wrote that song we were it, it was it, breezy was sick she couldn't hardly get up that day out of, out of bed do nothing to get to the bathroom and we lost power here in brown county for like four days and I'm sitting by candlelight and I've got 
I mean, I'm just, it was just lonesome. I mean, it was just, it just felt like, didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I mean, at that point in time, you got to remember, I didn't know if there was going to be toilet paper pirates coming from my toilet paper. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like walking around the yard with a, with a 12 gauge shotgun just in case, you know, like, I mean, it was like, I didn't know yeah. it was scary times, you know? And I, and I was like thinking to myself, like, man, if this, if, if things ever get back to normal, I don't want to be too cool to dance. Right. I don't want to be, I, I don't want to waste another second. I don't want, it's like too cool dance is really about seizing the day, you yeah. know? And it's, it's like written like it's a love song. Cause it kind of is, you know, but, but it, when I, when I, where I was at with that was like, man, I hope no one feels like they're too cool to dance anymore. I hope we go out there and we seize the day and we dance and, and we do it. You know, I, that's, that's what that song's really about. So to me, like, it's almost a, a melancholy about that song too. You know, I felt like every song was sad almost, but and then somehow it, it, it doesn't feel that way. You know, when, when it starts to finish, when you listen to the record, you For know, sure. it, uh, it, so I, I just thought, you know, in my mind, I remember my, you know, a friend of mine saying all of your songs are sad. And if you listen to the words, <laughs> yes, <laughs> not so, all of them, but you know, I, I knew, I knew what he was saying. As we talked about your success with Patreon and uh, all the videos on YouTube, you are a very digitally successful artist. That said, I felt like just based on what you're doing, I felt like this had to be heard on vinyl. Like I, I had to go analog with my listening. It is really designed for it, man. It really is. It, it, it was recorded all on it. And this people are going to think I'm lying, but I'm not. Eight tracks of analog tape. There's just eight tracks of analog tape. And we, were, we worked with Vance Powell. Uh, he's, uh, his, his credits include Jack White and Beyonce. He's got a Grammy for you know, Lemonade. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable, you know. And, you know, he and I talked on the phone. I was, I was talking with different producers. I, I, I didn't want to go in and produce it myself. I wanted, I wanted to just be able to show up and play, you know. Sure. I didn't want to have to think about like, man, is that microphone right? Or uh, I just want to be like, I want to go in there and play and sing my ass off. That's yeah. all I want to worry about. I want to know that on the other side of that microphone was someone that understood where we were coming from and was going to make it right. Wouldn't have to worry about it. And someone also that if we didn't get it right, they'd be like, Hey man, do it again. You know? Right. So I talked to a lot of different people in Vance, you know, first off Vance had seen us a, a, you know, a few times and, so he really understood our vibe and he's like, Rev, not only do I want you to play this live, but I want to do it to eight tracks of analog tape. I want to make this like, I want you to sing it live the whole deal. He's like, I want you to come in here and you just be Reverend Peyton. And that sounded good to me. Yeah. You know, I, it really did. And I thought if anybody can do it, it's him. And you know, I think, I think it's our best record we've ever done. And I don't think that I know. You know, who am I kidding? I know it's our best record. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that, man. But, you know, Vance Powell is, is up there is one of the reasons why. You know, we've been working on ourselves. Like, I've been working on being a better singer, a better writer, a better player of music. This song was like, was the, the songs were written under, I mean, I, I've never had that kind of stress in my life. All the terrible things that happened to me, it was just like, my dad had cancer, breezy sick, won't get well. I'm sitting around, there's nothing, power's going on and off over here. I wasn't sure about food. I was scared to even go to the grocery store to buy food because I didn't yeah. know if like, I was still going to spread this thing around. Um, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, my storage unit. I'm trying to find stuff to sell. You know, I'm like selling guitars on eBay. 
you know, trying to figure it out. I mean, it was, uh, uh, <laughs> it, was it was crazy, you know, it was, I, it was, it, it was so stressful. And like every now and then I talk to someone, they go, well, I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> like, Punch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shut <Don't>, up. <laughs> don't say that to any musician or anyone no. who is, who is no, music adjacent. Yeah. It's fine if it wasn't bad for you and you enjoyed it. You got to work from home or whatever it was. You made a bunch of money or whatever it was. You know, it's good. But I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> well, I, I'm so I'm, I'm ecstatic that here we are and we're able to talk about the band coming back to Chicago, especially given the circumstances of how the last appearance in Chicago ended up. I mean, that what, what a way to kind of reclaim your it power. That last night in Chicago was wild because it was a sold out show way in advance. Right. And about half the people showed up. Yeah. Because people were scared. You know, I mean, it was we like we probably shouldn't have played the show. But uh, at the time, no one knew exactly how widespread it was. Right. And we kind of had to wait until, you know, the the they sort of pulled the, the shows. You know what I mean? I had to kind of wait like we couldn't do it. You know, we had to wait for the, the city right. or whoever to say, hey, no more shows. You know, so we, we had to do it. And, you know, at the time also, like if I'd known that we were all sick, that'd have been a different thing too. I mean, I knew we were sick. I didn't think we had coronavirus. You know what I mean? I, I thought, Oh, there's no way it's this, you know, we just caught something bug on the road, you know, life on the road's nasty. I, I had no idea, you know, it, I mean, at the time there weren't tests everywhere that like they were saying, Oh, well, like one guy in Washington state's got sick and there's like two people in Florida, right. you know? I mean, I, we had no idea. So then when we found out, like I kept it to myself for a while because I didn't want people to think like, Oh, Reverend Peyton's out there spreading this thing around. And, right. You know, cause I mean, cause we, we, we were probably, but we didn't mean to be, you know what I mean? We weren't trying to do nothing wrong. As soon as we found out we were sick, like I stayed in my house for a month. I had friends dropping off eggs on my porch and stuff. You know what I mean? Like I was scared because they, they would say, oh, well, quarantine for 14 days. Well, at the time, I, I didn't know if that was quarantine for 14 days after you don't feel sick anymore mm-hmm. or when you first feel sick or what, you know, quor- what does that mean? Quarantine for 14 days. We didn't know. So we were here for a month, you know, an absolute month before we did anything. And Breezy, because she was sick for so long, she was probably here stuck in the house going nowhere for two months. Yeah. You know, and I would just go to the store or whatever and come back. So, Reggie's August twentieth, we get <laughs> you celebrate. Yeah, but that's what it is, isn't it, Rev? I mean, this is a celebration in in every way, shape, and form. It is you know coming back together. And those of us that have lived through this time, all right, those of us that know, because every every generation has something, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just what our generation has to piss with, you know. It, it's just uh, it's it, it just is, and that and, and that's okay, you know. Really, it is, and I'll tell you why. Because sometimes you need things like this to remind you just how important it is to get out there, just how important each other, like mm-hmm. we are to each other, you know, I mean, you don't realize just how, I mean, how much like you, like a friend, I, I met with some friends of mine last week and I was, I, I drove an hour and a half to see them. And I, you know, some of them were like complaining about driving five minutes and I'm like, I come an hour and a half because man, I'm not wasting any more time. Like this, t- it's, it's slipping away and it's short. And, you know, I, I, we've, we've, we've lost too many people we know to the coronavirus this last year. I feel really, really lucky that my parents made it through unscathed, knock on wood. My dad's cancer free right now, knock on wood. Congratulations. Freezy made it through, knock on wood. We're all good, you know? So 
it's like, it, I, I don't want to waste any of these moments, you know? So every show, every single one, you know, I, I, I hope that people come out and they, and they, they remember, you know, like let's, let's, let's not be too cool to dance. That's let's it. not waste another minute. You know, let's, let's do it because it, 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 you just don't know, you know, you don't know. I mean, we woke up on, I mean, you know, in, in the beginning of March, we're, we're running through, we're getting ready to do the, the, you know, the biggest tour of the year. And we've got all these sold out shows and it's looking great. And by the middle of March, everything I had ever worked for my entire life was done for, was stopped, halted with no end in sight. And you just never know, man. You know, my tour manager, Shane, he lost his granddad who really raised him more like his dad. Uh, you know, so like, I feel sometimes it always made me feel like a, I don't know, like some kind of wuss complaining about my troubles when he lost his granddad, you know, he had to, he, he was, he, he had to put on like a hazmat suit to go see him in his last moments, you know? So it, it's, uh, it makes me feel, you know, sort of like, I don't know, like Rev, you whiner. Oh, you, you know, that's, that's silly. We all went through stuff, but, varying but degrees, I mean, but we all know, went through stuff. It, it was, it was bad. And like at the time, like, especially like the end of March, beginning of April, like those, those four weeks, right. Yeah. That was, I mean, I wasn't in my right mind. You know, now I know I, I, I had some kind of fog going on. The, the anxiety and everything was pushing me to the limits. I was just so worried about breezy and my family and everybody else. And, it was, it was just crazy. You know, it was, it was nuts. And, and, uh, but you know, your, your brain has this beautiful thing. It does too. You know, you always, and that's why nostalgia is so dangerous because your brain only remembers the good things. It mm -hmm. blocks out all the bad things. So, so true. all the bad stuff about, about that, like my brain hardly remembers. I think about, but I remember all the good things. I remember all the great times that breezy and I had sitting around here at the, at the house and we got a cat, which we never had an animal ever because we were on the road too much and we got right, a cat right. and we just, we, we love him. I never thought I could love a cat. I didn't know that, that, uh, you know, cats were the way they are. Uh, it, I, so like I have all these great memories with that. I, we, we crafted this record. I'm super proud of made these videos. And, and I'm also proud too, that like I kept my guys paid. No one lost their house. You know, no one, uh, we stayed a band making music and, and you know, it was really thanks to the fans with the Patreon and the, uh, uh, with the live streams, you know, they really helped us stay afloat. They helped us make it through, you know, and, and, uh, and they're helping us make it through because I think the music business has changed. I don't think concerts are coming back the same way that they were maybe um, for a year or so from now. Uh, it's just uh, a lot of promoters took a hit. There's too many venues that are gone. Reggie's, though, is still there. So, Hell yes, it is. So it's a celebration there for sure. It is. Again, August 20th. The Reverend Peyton's big damn band, the new album, Dance Songs for Hard Times. And here we are having good times moving forward. Rev, thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it.